0: Welcome to cancrea home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. Now, Sebastian. Me? I have been fact-checked recently. What? Not oh directly. God. Not directly. I have found myself saying a thing uh-huh. that according, and uh, Dr. Sarah Tabor is who I'm referring to, and this urban myth, which I have discovered it was an urban myth, that I have parroted myself. I have been okay. guilty of this, and Sebastian, so have you. Have I perverted it? You, you, you may well have, and that oh. is the urban myth that hay fever in cities is caused from tree sexism by city planners.
1: It's partly that, partly by. I mean, it's a mix. It's a blend. It's well, be apparently,
0: whole- it's not at <laughs> it's, all. No, it is fundamentally not the case because, according to this uh, this tree crop specialist who specializes specifically in the reproductive processes of trees, mm-hmm. the vast majorities of species of trees that are planted are actually sort of unisex. They're, they're, okay. She calls them super effing queer is how she describes these trees <laughs> okay things, okay because they're like you could plant five male trees and they're going to figure it out you know yeah. that's that's what these trees do and the idea just for those listening is that with all of these male trees and hardly any female trees that these t- male trees are trying extra hard to to fertilize with the female trees so they're putting out tons of pollen and, and that's why people think, this urban myth, that there is so much pollen in cities because uh, cities don't like planting female trees because the fruit will fall on people and, you know, God forbid, feed somebody and, you know, <laughs> rot and, and so on and so forth. So people don't like fruiting trees. So okay. all these male trees are making so much pollen.
1: I mean, I don't know if I would have parroted it quite as much because I know that there are many, many, many trees whose flowers have both male and female parts.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what she says. She says, and I quote, most tree species have both male and female flowers and or every single flower on the tree has pollen and ovaries. Yeah. 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 So there there is no male versus female trees for, for lots of trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I think, I think uh, ginkgo is one of the ones that does. And uh, ginkgo, I know a lot of cities plant a ton of ginkgo because ginkgo biloba is incredibly resistant to pollution. Mm. Because it's actually, it's one of the last surviving trees, not from the Carboniferous, but it's, like, it's basically like a living dinosaur tree. It's like the, the, the alligator of trees. It's just a really old species that hasn't changed much.
0: So she goes on to say, and I, and I quote, trees do not respect the human gender binary. Which I thought was a, just a great poster to begin with. Okay, uh, you could say the reason we have so much pollen is not landscaping capitalism or botanical sexism. It's just that trees are super effing queer, and uh, essentially her argument for why there is so much pollen is because the pollinating season, as a direct result of climate change, mm-hmm. is now longer. Uh, it starts earlier and it lasts longer and the because of the rise in temperatures uh, and other factors caused by climate change the trees are as a whole mm-hmm. pollinating to an ever increasing degree i think
1: uh, urban spaces as well that sort of like 80s dream of the concrete jungle with no lawns anywhere is probably also contributing because then the the pollen has nowhere to come to rest it like goes on glass and concrete and just hangs out instead of like being absorbed by various other green spaces are getting wet and washed away or like it, it, the, the, the fact that many cities are, are,
0: cause it's weird. If you go into the countryside, it's not that bad. Well, that's another piece that comes up. She says, this is sort of basic biology. As soon as I read yeah. it, I was like, I, th- I think I did that in like grid 10. Yeah. And it's the idea that carbon dioxide is a key part of photosynthesis. Oh yeah. 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 So we're all in the same, same, page Mm -hmm. more carbon dioxide equals more tree growth equals Mm -hmm. more pollen Mm -hmm. so if you've got a major city emitting uh you know metric tons of carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. (laughs) those trees are gonna have a buffet of carbon dioxide to to help them grow big and strong and pollinatory so yeah that's that's also part of it is that there's just more carbon dioxide well you know that um,
1: before marijuana was legalized there were a lot of uh, illegal underground grow ops that 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 ran on like generators so that they wouldn't be on the power grids the police wouldn't be able to find them because spike of energy and the exhaust from some of those generators were put into the grow ops to flood the space with carbon dioxide to increase the 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 speed of growth for a lot of the marijuana, so there there were a lot of like you know suffocation and smothering, I don't want to say deaths, but injuries, let's say mm. from people spending too long in the space with the the marijuana because they would just be like huffing very high amounts of CO two. I would
0: explain why you get blends like diesel. I mean, <laughs> it's it's less a nickname and more an ingredient at that point. I think that's. That seems I mean, to the, there's the case.
1: more controlled ways of getting CO two into a space than than. You know, running a
0: uh, running a generator. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And you know, well organized, well funded places do that, and uh, it's much better now. But yeah, uh, they're they're very smothering. There actually, I, there was a, a cactus uh, greenhouse in Dundas, Ontario, that used to uh, fill the space with a little bit of CO two so that the cacti could grow better. It was beautiful. They had one of every cactus known on Earth.
0: So we're going to jump into another story, but later on we do have. Uh, I'm I was very lucky to be able to secure. Uh, um, interview with two bronze medal winning um, Olympians two truly uh, inspiring uh, women. Um, we, they talk about obviously winning the bronze. They were both on the softball team. Uh, Canada mm-hmm. won uh, won the bronze. But before we get to that, there was a story that I don't think we had time to dive into in the past. And that was uh, there was a um, Christian uh, focused publication uh, okay. that has been sort of geopolitically put very right of center and that is the pillar and the pillar apparently alleges to have had access to data from Mm grinder which they then use to out a priest yeah. Um, but these uh, the Conference of Catholic Bishops are super focused on the fact that Biden um, hasn't vehemently opposed abortion. However, their efforts might be a bit stymied because their secretary, uh, the bishop, um, was forced to resign um, in disgrace because, according to the pillar, data that they received revealed that he had been going to gay clubs um, and had been using grinder pretty uh, explosive allegations from them. You you heard about this, right, when this happened a couple of weeks ago? I do remember this. That's the, that's the question. Yes. Yes, I do.
1: Is there an update? What's the
0: update? There is a definitely an update. They said that the data they got was commercially available. Okay. Um, so, But also their language and their reporting is pretty suspicious. So, for example, they said there is no evidence to suggest that Burrell was in contact with miners through his use of grinder, mm-hmm. But any use of the act by the priest could be seen to present a conflict with his role in developing and overseeing national child protection policies. As a church, leaders have called in recent months for greater emphasis on technology, accountability, in church mm-hmm. policies. So why mention that there's no evidence of you know, inappropriate yeah. contact with minors?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's, weird it's a weird angle because they're basically saying like gays are all pedos instead of like, he took vows that he broke. Like you could have taken a much simpler route that like this priest being a Catholic priest took certain vows that he did not obey in pursuing what looks like sexual or romantic relationships. So you don't even have to go as deep as weird assumptions. You could just say quite simply. And if you, if they just came out and said like, the guy took some vows and he didn't obey those vows. I think a lot more people would be like, oh, you know, I don't agree with your ways, but fair enough. Like he did agree to that and he did not follow his vows. So fair enough. So but, the, yeah.
0: the pillar was founded by uh, J.D. Flynn and Ed Colden previously from the Catholic News Agency. Okay. In 2018, they allegedly were given data from Grindr and Tinder, which they were going to consider using to find Catholic priests and bishops that were using it. Now, somebody who has been somewhat cons- well, not just somewhat concerned, but somebody who is very concerned about this alleged data breach is none other than the CEO of Grindr, the okay. very app that is alleged to have breached this uh, um, access. So, the yeah. Jeff Bonaforte uh, Bonaforte or Bonafort. I, don't know, I hope probably Bonafourde. uh the CEO of Grindr has, uh, he put his entire team, apparently they, as soon as they found out about the crisis meeting and he's like, the only thing you got to do tomorrow is find out exactly how they got that data. Right. Because according to Grindr, and this might surprise no homosexual using Grindr, <laughs> right. um, they don't sell the data to anybody. Mm. Uh, essentially, because they realized that having someone's sexual activity and communications history, um, you know, in the world can cost people their lives. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Even in the Western world, can cost jobs and and cause all no end of uh, of um, you know bad days. Mm-hmm. So the grinder folks spent ages trying to find out how they. How the pillar got this data, right. and essentially what they found out was three potential ways the pillar did this. The first one is that the pillar, uh, this Catholic news organization, got the data about this bishop through network providers. So the data, and I quote from the Grinders blog here: the data may have come from network providers, so mobile carriers, ISPs, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi owners, etc. It is known that carriers have sold the information during the period of time covered by the yeah. blogger's work. So yeah, yeah. if you know to look for it, then you're good to go. And that's the other thing that the, the grinder CEO mentioned that really jumped out at me. The odds of being able to ID somebody off of a cellular device right. is like finding a needle in a beach. It's not <laughs> just, you know, it's the needle the size of a grain of sand in a beach. It is unbelievably difficult because you'd, you'd have to know and essentially their argument is there's no way they could have happened on this they would have have to have known he was using grinder and hmm. sort of worked backwards from the conclusion to find evidence to find the evidence yeah, absolutely yeah. because the odds of you just being able to just being a joe schmo grinder user and then being being having all of that information just found is unbelievably almost impossible. It, it mm-hmm. is pretty much impossible. So the other two ones, just very quickly, is data brokers. Uh, so for example, they use location data. However, Grindr doesn't put out the location data available for them to be able to kind of backtrack and identify an individual person.
1: And we've covered this in the past. They also fudge their
0: numbers. So yeah, it, yeah. yeah. It's designed they're, they're... specifically to not do that
1: there's a randomizer scrambler for your 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 location is always like plus or minus 100 meters in any direction and in an urban center that's that's significant that could be mm-hmm. anything yeah
0: so they did admit that there is a potential that uh one of their foreign uh, former or current advertising partners or somebody further down the process um unknowingly sold the source of the data um however that would be a a breach of all of their agreements and there will right. be legal action as a result of it so they're investigating all of it so grinder really stressed they encrypt all of their data they encrypt all of the messaging they fudge the geotagging so you can't be precisely pinned down and uh they've come out of this pretty substantial investigation being like they still don't think it's them, (laughs) you know, they did, you know, they brought in people to look at it with a clear set of eyes and uh, they honestly believe that they knew this Bishop was homosexual. They knew where this Bishop went and then they targeted the ISP or the Wi-Fi routers of where this Bishop was going to get the data from that direction to be able to confirm their hypotheses. um yeah absolutely despicable uh um, yeah
1: i I, have seen a lot of videos on hackers and lock pickers because you know sometimes i can't sleep and it's two in the morning and i watch some youtube and it usually the the social angle is how they hack things so like you know they don't hack a computer half the time anymore they set up a spy cam and watch you type in your password and they don't really pick locks what they do is they find out what the weaknesses are you know you put a magnet here and you tap it here with a rubber mallet and the whole thing just pops open it's probably just something like that like they probably did not hack uh, grinder they probably already knew and just had like somebody follow him around and then from there be like okay this router this time of day i saw him online at this point find a way to comb through that data. Like they, they probably reverse engineered it through more social means than through traditional hacking, which yeah. is really hard to get around, by the way. Like th- there's not much Grinder can do about that if, if that is what happened.
0: Well, and I think that's, you know, the whole point that I wanted to get across covering this particular story is yeah. so many gay men use Grindr and this seemed to imply that now suddenly everyone could be outed. Um, but, yeah, it was certainly a frightening story when it came out. But before we dive into the interview, I want to play the first track from an album called The Sled Island Rock Lotto. It's okay. essentially an initiative where they, it's their second time, second go, um, they release, they got 45 musicians to smush together into nine new bands, mm-hmm. to release nine new songs in one album, Um, It is the Slade Island rock lotto and uh, it's pretty incredible. We've had Alex Vizier, or Vizier, uh, perform, and not Mm. perform, play. uh, we played a couple of their songs. Um, uh, Alex joined uh, a bunch of other people to form Mm. the group known as, uh, what did they call themselves, Uh, Lollipop. Okay. And the track is called Don't Go. So, this is a Canadian supergroup with the track Don't Go. We will be back just after this.
2: Baby, lay, lay, I'm so Ill-
0: welcome to CanQui, a home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. Uh, Sebastian has stepped away to deal with the migraine, but I won't be talking to myself. I am beyond excited to be able to speak with two bronze medal podium finish Olympians have joined me. Uh, I've got uh, Joey Lai and Larissa Franklin from the Team Canada softball team, Um wow i mean that game where you where you beat uh, uh, mexico and they didn't they didn't roll over that was a that was a nail biter of a game how was that moment for you when you realized that you know softball is back in the olympics you've made it all the way and you realized that you beat mexico how was that how was that moment for each of you
2: i
3: think it was it was a moment we'd been dreaming of for years to get a medal at the olympic games and be able to stand on the podium next to this wonderful group of women that we've worked so hard beside and we were aspiring to win the gold medal but when that was uh you know no longer in the plans then the bronze became our focus and just to to realize that that moment had arrived, it was—it's almost in, indescribable to be running towards all these people that you love to celebrate that moment.
4: Yeah, I think I think Joey hit the nail on the head there. I think when we were dreaming of going to the Olympics, you can only imagine what you really see on TV. So getting to compete for a medal, but I think what we were are all so thankful for is that is the people that we got to do it next to because we had such a special group. So not only were our dreams coming true of being Olympians, getting to compete for a medal, but then we got to do it with some of our favorite people and the people that we got to grind the for so many months. And that's truly what made the experience so special for us.
0: I mean, your, your comments make me think of a, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, I think you you really are world-class athletes to have you know been able to get into the Olympics, your team to have been able to qualify and get in there and 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 compete, uh beating out many teams across the whole world. I think that that puts you in a in a league all of its all of its own, which is truly incredible to to begin with. Um, and a podium finish uh to go on top of that, um, truly astonishing. Uh, I know that Canadians up and down the country are remarkably proud of of everything you've done. And the number of Canadian women who are taking home Olympic uh, medals is is really quite something. I watched the opening ceremony, and you see a lot of countries where it's all men and, and there's no female pallbearer, um, but Canada's coming in and sort of helping to tilt the, the global gender equation on the medal front, I think, with uh, such an incredible showing. Um, the other thing that you mentioned that jumps out at me, and we will get to the, the gay stuff in a, in a minute for our regular listeners, Um, But you mentioned about how uh, being able to compete in the grind. I know you folks were training, I want to say Fort Lauderdale for about a month or so. It was, you were off-site training before you got to the Olympics. Um, But watching the game, it was raining. Uh, It was, it was, it looked like it was a a bit of a a tough battle. But what jumped out at me is I got the sense that this was like a, a softball game on a Saturday, there was that camaraderie, the cheering from the team on the side uh, of, the, of the, the, the diamond, I think it is. Um, you know, you didn't have the crowd of people in the stands, but what, what did it feel like hearing your teammates and the Mexican team um, sort of cheering on and, and making the, the ruckus that really helped bring the game alive?
4: Um, I, I keep saying that it was so special that we as a team got to share that moment with just each other as great as the fans would have been and having all of our families and our support systems in the stands, being able to share it with just the 14 other players and staff members was special. And I think that's what made it somewhat easy to stay in the moment is we had prepared next to each other for so many months and we didn't have anyone else around And while the team Mexico was cheering and everything, we were able to just kind of look to each other and stay in the moment and do what we had to do, whether it was rain or anything else, it was just, okay, I'm coming up to the plate. What does the team need right now? I'm going to do it because if I don't do it, we're not getting a medal and we are not leaving here without a medal.
3: Yeah. I think another special just, point to that moment was Marnie McBean, our chef de mission was in the stands. And even though we didn't have our family and friends up there, we had the leader of the overall team Canada in the stands. Uh, She wasn't allowed to yell, but she had her drum with her and was making tons of noise and playing her signature cheer through the drum. So throughout the game, we could hear that and feel that. And we were able to connect with her uh, after the game, you know, mirroring her cheer to her and, and having that moment. So that made it special as well. And, and now we all get to be with our people and and sharing in a, a big celebration, you know, at home across the country. So the the special moment continues.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I, I hope you folks have had a hero's welcome as you've uh, come home. It was interesting listening to the commentators who have said that, you know, softball is really big out in BC. I think a lot of a lot of BC representation on the team, um, and then in, in parts of uh, on Ontario as well. Um, I wanted to touch pivot slightly to LGBT folks in sports. Uh, we mentioned on last week's show how OutSport has been tracking LGBT athletes. And uh, they they had, I think, 20 at the Beijing Olympics out of all of the athletes in the world that were openly gay, Um, And then I think it jumped to 56. But I think last time I checked, it was 179 now in in Tokyo. And so much so that, uh, for example, on on Team Canada's soccer team, they were emailing out sports and saying, well, you know, there's me and and this person and this person. uh, Can we get on your list? Um, Comparing both of you have competed internationally at at the sort of world level, not just in the Olympics. Um, have you seen, uh, you know, much of a change? Because the numbers paint a pretty drastic picture from 2008 to 2020. Um, Have you two experienced the change where more athletes are willing to be openly LGBTQ um, in professional sports at the level that you're playing?
3: Yeah, I think thinking back to 2009, which was the year I first tried out for the Canadian national team, and the, the environment was different at that point. It wasn't to, you know, talked about that much. No, nobody kind of understood where other people stood with, uh, acceptance and fast forward to now. And, and it's hard to believe that that was ever the environment and, uh, everybody is who they are and we all respect each other for who we are and, getting to know a lot of the the players from other teams uh, just over the years you know it seems the same within that larger softball community now which is really exciting each person is just able to to step up to the plate as the person that they are and and it's really exciting
4: yeah I came on the team in 2013 and I can think about some of the girls that were out and and were in same-sex relationships or marriages. I don't know if there was marriages at that point. I'm trying to think, but even like Joey um, herself, like I looked up to those people and and being able to look to them and see how they were navigating their life and just feel like I had a safe space to go to. And if I needed to talk to someone, I could go and I could talk to them. So I think we're in a position now where those conversations are happening more. And that's why I take a lot of pride in being out. It's not. It's not so much for myself, but just being able to be open about it and know that if there's anyone younger than me or or even older going through um trying to figure things out, that I'm someone that they can not only come to, but just feel safe around um, in having whatever conversation they want to have. So I think it's important that we have so many people that are just saying, like, hey, I'm dating a female or a male, whatever it may be, and um just kind of sharing that and leaving it open-ended for whoever to take it however they wish.
0: Yeah, I I really do think that we've we've sort of hit a cultural moment where sport in the last I would say 3 to 4 months really has noticeably changed. Um you know, this Olympics saw the first uh, openly trans athletes competing um with uh, the weightlifter from New Zealand being among the first but also Quinn being non-binary on the Canadian uh, soccer soccer team um you know at time of recording, um is sort of uh, destined to become the first openly trans person to win a medal at the olympics in in the modern olympic history which goes back to I want to say 1837 or something like that we sort of end of the 19th century um either way that that is a, an absolutely astonishing achievement and and fantastic that that is happening uh with team canada sort of leading the four um do you think that it is it is a as um, an example of how Canada has fostered these open and uh, welcoming spaces. I know the Canadian Olympic Committee has done a lot of work around pride houses and uh, other initiatives to encourage folks to be out and open. Um, do you think that, that that that's trickling down and you are seeing more uh, LGBT folks in sports like softball?
4: I do. I do often wonder if I was in the situation where I was a few years ago with how things are today with um, the COC doing so much work and with so much awareness out there and so much stuff on social media, how I would feel, like, would I feel more more accepted, more willing to um, be open? I don't necessarily know the answer, but I do think that those conversations definitely just create like a safe space. And softball specifically, I think, I know when I went to university, those conversations did happen often in our sport, but I think the fact that that's becoming so consistent across not only um, softball and soccer, for instance, but then a lot of other sports that you may not have as many um, gay people in the sport. So that becoming a more consistent conversation, I think the COC, Team Canada, um, and some of the sport organizations are doing a good job there.
3: I would agree. I think they're doing a great job. And just even walking into our accommodations at the village, you know, there's signs on the walls saying everybody is accepted here within these walls, you are safe. And they, they try, they put a a big effort forward to get that message across. And the social media piece, as Larissa was talking about, has just significantly grown, and I think that's pretty exciting as well. Both of us were able to send in quotes that were put out through our Ontario Sports Center uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think for all the youth that have eyes on that, it, it just creates an environment for them to feel more comfortable in their own skin and to feel as though they are supported and I I hope that Canada has set the tone and that more countries will jump on board with allowing athletes to feel empowered and accepted. And also to encourage a lot of the youth uh, organizations to rethink policies and just understand that, you know, communities and, and culture is changing and we, we have to change with that. And so for, for players to be able to be on the Olympic stage, uh, showing that you know people are people and we have to, to make those policies for youth organizations uh, in a way that youth are youth and, and they're accepted in spaces and, and able to play sport.
0: I think that both of you now are going to be the folks that people look up to. Um, I know that when I was growing up, um, I'm only just turned 30, so I'm not too old. The beard uh, makes me look older. But the when I was growing up, in because I grew up in Britain, Tom Daly, the Olympic diver, was sort of a huge piece of the story. And then he came out, and he's dived better than he ever has. He went from uh, placing fourth or fifth to winning the gold for the men synchronized um, just a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it's it, there is definitely something to be said for... Being able to compete uh, more effectively and and with a stronger um, sense of self if you're not spending time hiding part of who you are. Um, Has that ever been something that that either of you have had to do is sort of compete with a hand behind your back, maybe um, sort of had to hide your identity? Or have you always been out and out and proud?
3: I think for me, I kind of discovered my true self later in life. It was just as college was ending and it was uh, an interesting path for me just becoming who I was and allowing my own family in on that. And it wasn't until after our gold medal in 2015 at the Pan Ams in Toronto that I was actually out to my entire family. And that moment was extremely freeing. And I think that it 100% goes hand in hand with your ability to perform your absolute best on on the field of play when you feel 100% supported or just free to be who you are. You know there are a lot of folks out there who might not be supported by everybody within their family, but just having that kind of moment off your chest and feeling as though, okay, I I am who I am, and now let's let's up that confidence level a little bit more and. and uh, it's just it's an indescribable feeling once you've kind of gone through that process to just take a breath and and continue on on your path a little more confident a little more kicking your step and and I 100 believe that transfers to the field
4: yeah I think Joey hit the nail on the head I don't have much more to add there but just the I was I was later as well that I um was more open about it it was the end of college and even then I wasn't super open about it because you're still transitioning with it. But I was talking to, I was able to talk to my family about it and stuff, which was helpful. But I think sport does provide a nice place for you to just go play. But to Joey's point, there is sometimes you feel like maybe your performance is taking a hit because you just didn't train um, accordingly. But sometimes there's those outside things that are, are bugging you. And not just something like this, but just anything. If you are, if you have two identities that are battling and and you're one thing off the field, another thing on, it's going to hurt your performance. And I think most, like for me, I I didn't realize that it was, it was hurting things and that I wasn't able to be myself, but at the same time knowing that I did have sport and sport never changed and I could just step on the field and, and play and be the athlete I am was a safe space in itself
0: and you two are truly incredible athletes you you i mean having watched it i think it, it is fantastic and i think folks should go cbc gem go in and uh re-watch the game um but one thing, first of all, I've got a wreath of thankings. I am what I am stuck in my head now. So I want to thank Joey for that uh, earworm that's going to be with me for the next hour or so. Um, but I think that you you both of you are inspiring in that. I hope that young folks listening feel the confidence of being supported where they are, in who they are, to just go out and have fun. I know that LGBT rec teams are exploding in popularity um but yeah absolutely do you have any any final words of advice for folks who might be considering getting into sport at at any age um and uh, what you might say to inspire them to maybe aim for the gold at the olympics
4: it's chipping away if you have a dream and you really want to achieve something you just have to keep chipping away and i think i don't know if joey would be on the same page but all of a sudden, things start aligning, and you're, you're wondering how you got there and how you're making the national team and how you're now going to the Olympics and how we're now Olympic bronze medalists. But things start to fall in place, and it took hard work. It took discipline, and at the end of the day, it really just took us enjoying what we were doing every single day and pouring everything we had into it.
3: Yeah. I think my message is extremely similar. Uh, at some point we had a dream and it was the daily decisions that we made and the small things that you might not think matter on a given day that at the end of the day, make the biggest difference of all. So to anyone out there who wants to get into sport or maybe is in sport and, and has been dreaming of uh, a big achievement, it, you know, start today and, and, do something that's going to help you get there, even when people might tell you that it's not possible. Just keep keep with it.
0: Well, on, on behalf of myself, Ken Kui, and and the, the radio stations that uh, that carry us and, and all Canadians, I want to thank you so much for your dedication every day in crafting your skill, your athleticism um, and your perseverance, which I think is what truly makes you Olympians. Uh, what was it? Uh, Higher, stronger, faster, I think is the, the Olympic motto. So thank you again so much, the two of you for joining us. It is greatly appreciated. And we will be back just after this. Welcome back to Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and I'm Sebastian. Um, I did want to mention to our listeners that the track that you just heard was also from the Sled Island Rock Lotto. Uh, okay. This one was a group, a super group, called Heartbeat City, with the uh, with the track Phases, uh, which included Amber Goodwin. From natural sympathies okay. in Regina, but we may recognize Amber Goodwin as the former station manager of CJTR in Regina, Saskatchewan. So a shout out to uh, Regina folks who listen to us, and that mm-hmm. was a great track that Amber um, uh, participated on, along with uh, the many others that were also in the on um, in that super group. Now. Before, uh, actually, I want to wrap up um, the the, uh, Olympics piece. Since we recorded the interview at the start of the week, uh, Quinn and the Canadian uh, women's soccer team went on to win gold, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely fantastic. So congratulations to the Canadian women's soccer team and all of the Canadian uh, Olympic uh, medal winners Uh, Absolutely astonishing, but I want to zero in on Quinn as Quinn is now has made uh, Olympic history as the first openly trans or non-binary in this case, non-binary person who has won a uh, an Olympic medal, let alone it being a gold medal. So Mm -hmm. congratulations to Quinn. And I believe that they have spoken in interviews about how being um free and uh, out has helped them to focus more entirely on their sport and not having that sort of split attention uh which uh, which takes up a lot of uh, folks' time mm. um and there's there's so much more there there is just an incredible amount of Olympic success that we have seen um but one of the things I wanted to mention to you Seb was the Actually, zeroing in on that, that uh, the Olympic soccer games, and I'm sure you're not, uh, you probably weren't following long, But the reaction to the United States losing to Canada, now for our listeners, it's a bit of an old news story here, about a week or so old. But the United States has beaten the women's soccer team a few times at, at quite pivotal Key games that have denied them the the win or the the cup or whatever it was. So there's this bit of a, a long-standing rivalry. So for Canada mm-hmm. to come out and beat the Americans, forcing the Americans into the silver bronze uh, the the bronze game, when Canada went on to compete in the uh, in the gold game against Sweden, was a major major victory for Canada mm-hmm. to break that streak against uh, against uh, the United States, but. The reason why I bring this up is how the United States media has responded to um, uh, Megan Ropineau, I think her name is, who is, a, who I believe, is a lesbian, just a kind of a butch-looking lesbian. You've seen yep. her with the purple hair. Um, yep, yep. Quite a prominent uh, lesbian soccer player. Um, just the critiques. Trump essentially blamed the loss of Megan Rapinoe. Um, You know, the right-wing pundits and Fox have piled on. Now, these are people who your country has sent to represent you at the global stage, and you're hounding them for not being patriots, I mean, it is absolutely mind-boggling. And then when you compare that to how Canada has responded to Quinn and the women's uh, football team, it is night and day. Night and day difference in how we have rallied behind uh, Canada's uh, Olympians. um, I think... Yeah. Canada just has a different relationship with sports. Like
1: for me, like I, I'm not really into sports, but I do remember one of the formative moments for me was uh, years ago, Silicon Laman, She was a, a rower for Canada for a couple of decades. And eventually after not winning for the longest time, she finally got bronze. And she's like, well, I'm retiring now. I remember seeing an interview with her where people said, uh, you know, uh, the, the interview asked her, aren't you disappointed that after all these years you only got bronze? And Silicon Lama was just like, uh, I'm in my forties and I just got a bronze, so I'm pretty happy. I don't know what your problem is. Do you have a bronze medal? And it was just like, oh, and that's kind of the the, the Canadian relationship with sport, which is like, oh, it was it was just nice to get out here, eh? Like it's you know, it's it's yeah. it's fun to participate, and it's not quite as we don't have the FIFA spirit, I guess, is what I'm trying to you
0: know, say. You may, you may be able to respond to this but one of the teams i was most backing you know born and raised in britain so if anyone is from wales i'm immediately backing yeah. them there was a an olympic uh, <laughs> uh swim the the 500 meter swim or whatever it was and there was one guy from swansea which was just down the road from where i used to live and i was like go oh, i'm hmm. in that sun and he came like dead last but still i was rooting <laughs> for the welsh guy um and you know always backing the canadians but like one of the things that i always i I like to see is what the 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 japanese team is doing because they they're allowed to compete in every game so the host Hmm. country can compete in every game there they don't have to necessarily qualify to compete in the game so they get an automatic seat which is great so you see these japanese entrants who are definitely top of the game in japan but not maybe not in the whole world because you yeah, know yeah. being the best in japan and being the best in the world is is yeah there's 288 countries that may disagree with you or but still in the
1: top one percent of athletes on, absolutely on and the japanese
0: yeah. are just so happy to be there and they're yes. giving it they're not <laughs> they're not taking it flippantly they're giving it 110 they're like i'm yeah, gonna yeah. do my best and yeah. some of them have I've walked away. With, you know, Japan's medal count is fantastic. We'll yeah, see how yeah. it plays out with the Paralympics. But it's that spirit of like, I'm here to beat my personal best and represent. And, you know, there was reports on how Chinese athletes who have won silver and gold and bronze mm. have been disappointed because there's so much pressure to only win gold. And mm. I think we see that in the United States as well. Is such a push for gold. But honestly... Anyone that even gets into the Olympics yeah. is is astonishing. You're in the top one percent athletes, like you mentioned, Seb. But yeah, more yeah. importantly, if you get a bronze, you're the you know there's only two people better than you in the whole world. Like oh, that I mean, is that's there, impressive. There, <laughs> you know there, there's I
1: mean? probably somebody who just does sport for fun in you know rural Yugoslavia or like you know Kenya or something who's probably better than you, but they're not competing, so they don't count.
0: But no, I mean it's it's a pretty safe bet to assume that that you know if you get a bronze, there's only two people better than you, and that's kind of what I want to get across. Is I am yeah. so incredibly proud of the Canadian Olympians oh, yeah. and everything they've brought to the the table. So well done, everyone who went out there, and especially to those who who were able to get the podium finish. Now,
1: I don't much care for sport, but I love it when somebody places fourth or like they don't really place. But then they smile and laugh anyway, like, "Whoa, well, hey, like, guess what I did? I still won in my own heart. And I'm like, yeah, I'm into that.
0: You know, I'm this is that. my last my last Olympic story, and it's not gay. But the <laughs> I was watching the Olympic climbing finals and uh, oh, there is. Oh,
1: did that German guy show up? The guy who can, like, climb on one finger?
0: I don't know. I'm not, I think there was a German competing, but it's the Czech guy that you want to follow. And okay. uh, there was uh, a Japanese to- Tomatoa, I think his name was, and he was going up he's so fast, going oh, yeah. up the speed thing, unbelievably yeah, yeah, yeah. fast. And the Czech guy was off by like a whole second. He was not going to beat this guy. And he was so pleased with himself cheering and fist pumping as he slowly descended back down having lost yeah (laughs) but he smashed his personal best by you know a decent margin and he was Hmm. so proud of himself for having beaten his own personal best at the olympic stage yeah even though he lost to one of the world's best climbers was okay he was just thrilled to have beat his personal best and i'm like wow that is that's olympic spirit Now, we are running shy on time because of all this Olympic talk. But Mm -hmm. I did want to mention that uh, St. John's New Brunswick Pride uh, will be happening in person. So our New Brunswick listeners uh, go and check out the details there. Um, There won't be a Pride Parade because of COVID, but there, there are other activities taking place. And for our listeners in Ontario, we are excited to learn that in Stratford and serving the whole Perth County, there is going to be a new Stratford Pride Community Center. Hmm. Uh, They're organizing it. Uh, It's not going to be just a hub. It's going to be really built for LGBT services. Um, I don't have a full list of what they're planning to do at this point but this is very exciting that they've got some pretty strong wheels on the ground for moving that forward. We will reach out to them and see what does it take to have a modern service center, um, offering pride, uh, you know, serve the community.
1: Especially if you're on the elephant, but not Toronto.
0: So the elephant refers to Southern Ontario. I think if you look at the Canadian map and you turn it a certain way.
1: Yeah. It looks Ontario like looks like here. an elephant. Uh,
0: Hamilton is the front
1: armpit, uh, Toronto is around the penis, and then Owen Sound is the butthole.
0: Owen Sound is the the elephant. Yeah.
1: No, honestly, if you look at it, it is the butt for sure the butthole. But yeah, uh, uh, Stratford is like the heart of the elephant.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So um, there was a couple of stories to come out of Ghana. You may have recalled. I don't know if we got around to mentioning it, but in Ghana, in May, twenty-one LGBT folks were arrested. Um, in a random crackdown, they were all in a house, I think, and they were just oh, rounded yeah. up. Um, they've all been this. acquitted. Essentially, the the courts have finally caught up to it, and uh, all of the all of the cases were just thrown out.
1: Oh, good! Last time I read, they they were afraid it was all going to stick.
0: Yep. No, the courts have thrown them out. However. I did want to share that in Ghana, we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but it got cut. But they are trying to introduce a bill that would make even talking about uh, being an ally of a gay person uh, illegal and holding hands illegal with severe prison sentences. Um, LGBT activists in Ghana have, first of all, pointed the fingers quite squarely at the united states evangelical um church ecosystem um a lot of them have been hosting conferences in ghana um you know really talking about how to rewrite the laws in a way that uh, that work uh, that you may know, stick
1: there's weird stuff going on there like have you heard about the bleach cults like it's weird it's american as well but anyway
0: But yeah, yeah, so they're they're pointing the fingers at uh, evangelical extremism, and they're also saying that the international community needs to get, be aware of this and respond to this. We will hopefully dive more deeply into it um, a little later. Um, New Zealand is looking at banning conversion therapy, just as a quick update there. And we are keeping an eye on a story as the American Medical Association is saying that sex should be removed from birth certificates. So we will take a dive into that and uh, the public part of the birth certificates, we should say, um, and we'll follow it along as we progress. But oh, that's right, because they got short and long forms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. one of them is publicly available. So at this point, we have run out of time, um, I believe we did. Yes. Run out of time. Yes. Yes, okay. we have. Yep. And uh, we will be playing out with our last track, which is... Bend by Ria May. We haven't played any Ria May for a while. um, Mm -hmm. So I thought we'd get away with it next week. Hopefully we'll have an interview with a TikToker with over 700,000 followers and uh, over 14 million likes uh, to his name. We'll keep you in suspense as to who that is.
1: Normally I would rather eat my own leg than engage in this, but the way you've described it, I actually am very
0: interested in this interview. Absolutely. Well, Uh, something to keep you on the hook for. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening.